0: On January 26, 1979, 19-year-old Dennis Nathan Mann went to visit a friend near Fultz Road, off of Highway 5 in Winona, Mississippi. He was last seen walking across the field to his apartment and then vanished, never to be seen or heard from again. It's been 43 years since his disappearance. Just where is Dennis? Let's break down the details. Secrets of the Trees presents The Mysterious Disappearance of Dennis Mann Dennis Nathan Mann was born on December 25th, 1959. He originally was from Lawrenceburg, Tennessee, and had moved to Winona, Mississippi after graduating from high school. He moved because he had found a job with a construction crew. After the job was completed, he decided to stay in the small town and secured housing at the Wisteria Hotel. He would apparently often tell his parents how friendly everyone was in Winona. The morning of his disappearance, he talked to his father, who was a deputy, and told him he had a bit of a cold but still planned on visiting his family the following week. Later that day, he was at a friend's home near Fultz Road off of Highway 5 and was supposedly last seen walking across the field to his apartment, only to never be seen again. The police and FBI were contacted via mail and phone calls by anonymous individuals claiming to know what happened to Dennis, but never provided any further information about themselves. There aren't many official sources covering the details surrounding the disappearance of Dennis, I was only able to source a few newspaper clippings and a handful of online posts. Only two provided a background as to the aftermath, and while they are similar, they also differ. It's almost as if both stories passed down through a game of telephone, which if you don't know what telephone is, it's when someone whispers something into someone's ear, and then they whisper what they heard to someone else, and so on and so forth, until it reaches the last person, and usually the last person heard something wildly different than what the initial person said. The first post stated that a property owned by a Sharon Amazon was searched by investigators. It's not made clear, but there was apparently a court order which includes searching wells, ponds, and homes on the property. There was no evidence found after the searches were conducted. This Sharon would have been about 16 in 1979, so it's possible the property had initially belonged to her parents. Who is Sharon? And why is she relevant? We don't know. Why her property was searched? Again, we don't know. And they searched homes on the property? Just how large was this parcel of land? The biggest part of controversy in this case dealt with the skull found in a local creek. The medical examiner at the time, Dr. Thomas Bennett, identified it as belonging to Dennis. This caused major issues, however, when several other forensic experts claimed that the skull actually belonged to a black male over the age of 40. Instead of re-evaluating his stance, Dr. Bennett doubled down, insisting that it was Dennis, and then he resigned. Dennis had previously been in a motorcycle accident and skull x-rays were available for his previous injuries. It's not known if Dr. Bennett used the x-rays to compare with the found skull. The second post stated that some of the anonymous calls were done by a female who said she and a male saw someone throwing a body off of a creek bridge near the time he disappeared. Multiple searches were conducted and Dennis's body was never found. Yet, many years later, a skull was found on someone's mantle and traced to having been removed from a creek. The medical examiner determined it was Dennis' skull, but for some reason there was a discrepancy and the skull was revaluated a second time and found to be from an apparent Native American prior to white settlement. How was this skull found on someone's mantle? We don't know. What happened to the skull in either story? We don't know that either. What we are able to deduce from both posts is that a skull was found, it did not match Dennis, and a creek was involved. So we discussed the creek theory. However, there is a very very popular theory that Dennis may have been placed under a Walmart building. I know, let me explain. According to a snippet by the University of Minnesota, the Walmart in Winona was opened on May 15th, 1979. When I looked up the Walmart in Winona, I found that it had permanently closed down on January 30th, 2018. If you do a quick Google search of the location, you will see that it's an empty shell of a building right next to an AutoZone. I found an online article by the Winona Times discussing the closure, stating that the reason for the closure was the company was responding to customer need. But really, it appears that Walmart just wanted residents of Winona to commute 25 minutes down I-55 to their Granada Supercenter instead. So that building was emptied, about 85 people possibly lost their jobs in the process, and it doesn't appear that anyone else has set up shop there since 2018. How do you even go about... Introducing the topic of ripping up the floor to check for remains. There exists a ground-penetrating radar device which uses high-frequency radio waves to penetrate into the ground and form an image of what may possibly be below. You may have heard of this technology being used in Saskatoon to locate the bodies of First Nation children. Apparently, according to preliminary findings from a geophysical survey of the grounds at the former Kamloops Indian Residential School, it was indicated that the remains of as many as 215 children were buried at that site. That is a heavy story of much heartbreak and hopefully this GPR technology has brought some closure to the First Nation community. While such technology appears to be incredibly beneficial, like many things in life, it has its own set of shortfalls. In my research of this ground-penetrating radar device, I came across a case report written by a Dr. Michael Billinger, and he's a physical anthropologist with first-hand experience using this technology. In this report, he cautions about false positives when using GPR for locating possible burials under concrete. As it happened, in early 2008, the Edmonton Police Service Homicide Section was provided with information from a possible witness regarding the disappearance and possible homicide of a young female who disappeared in 1983. The case report stated, The information provided was that an individual, who may have known the family of the missing female, had conducted repairs to the concrete floor in the basement of his home, at approximately the same time as the female's disappearance. It was believed that the missing female's body had been buried under the concrete floor. The floor in question was examined and it was determined that there was an area that was clearly not the original pour but instead a lesser quality concrete. Dr. Billinger was consulted as to possible excavation techniques due to his background in forensic anthropology and archaeology. The rest of the report goes on to explain in exact detail how the GPR technology was used including images of schematics, measurements, and methods as to how the excavation took place. Despite positive results obtained during the GPR analysis, ultimately in that case, no evidence, biological or otherwise, was located during the excavation, leading to a false positive. There are factors that can affect GPR technology, such as soil conditions, background noise, weather conditions, and technological conditions. I was not able to find any articles discussing a negative GPR analysis that was later proven to be wrong due to remains ultimately being found in the testing area but it's quite possible. Despite the false positive in Dr. Billinger's case report, it may be worthwhile to do at least a GPR analysis of that floor, especially since, one, the building appears to be vacant, and two, it would possibly put to rest theories about Dennis being buried under the Walmart building. There is very little information about Dennis's case, so if GPR has been done in the few years since the Walmart has been closed down, the details were not made available to the public. Dennis was last seen wearing a blue plaid shirt, blue jeans, a denim jacket, and yellowish tan cowboy boots. He has a scar on the right side of his abdomen, has brown hair, and brown eyes. If you have any information on Dennis, the investigative agency running point on this case, which is the Montgomery County Sheriff's Office, can be reached at 662-283-4612.